Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Hey everyone, from the Backburner podcast is sponsored by Birch Barrel. Uh, you know, we as humans are connected by fire, and uh, our time is is in this world is better spent with food, fire, and friends. And, and whether you're cooking, camping, or or developing relationships with each other, uh, Birch Barrel is the perfect companion for your outdoor centered lifestyle. Uh, Visit birchbarrel.com. Uh, check out everything they've got. They've got everything from the uh, the birch barrel itself, uh, V2, which is the one that I run. Uh, they've got a lot of, of different accessories like the stockman gloves or the the pan lifter, plowman's board, knives, seasoning, uh, apparel, uh, you name it. Um, but if you're going to be there and you want to purchase anything, use my promo code BURNER, B-U-R-N-E-R at checkout for a 10% discount. Uh, really appreciate those guys sponsoring this podcast. So today's episode, I'm I've been super excited about this episode coming up uh, as I've I've kind of worked through it and and thought about it and and so today's episode is completely devoted to the subject of tacos. Um, as we all know, I, I think arguably you could say uh, you know tacos are 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 the largest rival here in America to, to hamburgers. Uh, I mean, heck there's even a day of the week devoted to tacos. Um, hamburgers don't even get that. Um, but, uh, you know, it, it, they are, they, they are a very simple meal in, in some cases, but also they have kind of an extraordinary story, um, uh, that, that comes along with them. And so some of my listeners will actually, uh, remember back to uh what i lovingly refer to as the taco incident uh when when randy newberg and and crew came down for the the first uh arizona uh, deer hunt camp and uh randy was in charge of buying groceries um and uh he showed up with a uh a, a few packets of mccormick's taco seasoning <laughs> and uh, uh i don't want to yuck anyone's yum if you love mccormick's you know by all means uh uh that's great. But, uh, Hank Shaw and I were, were unloading the groceries and we found that McCormick's and, and it was, uh, we, we weren't sure what to do with it. Um, of course we were, we were deep in Southern Arizona, really close to, uh, the Mexican border. And, and we felt like, man, we, we, we need to teach Randy a lesson, uh, down here first thing to, to educate him on tacos. And so we, we took those seasoning packets and, and right out to the fire and, and burned him right in front of him as he watched. And, uh, uh, you know, told them that, that we don't do that stuff down here. We, we had to preserve the integrity of, of Arizona tacos. And so, um, from that moment on, I think Randy started to get an education on, on, uh, uh, what it, what it meant to, to have tacos and, and using game meat. And, and, uh, we actually, he, he wanted to know what kind of tacos we made that day. And, and I just called them the Aravaca tacos because it was based on, uh, you know, some of the ingredients that, that we had locally around there. And, uh, uh, some preparation methods that are, that are very, uh, ubiquitous, um, here in, in Southern Arizona. So, um, so to, to 
really broached this subject. Um, you guys know me like this. This wasn't going to be an ordinary uh, uh, discussion if I was going to tackle it. And so I, I searched the world over and, and I found uh, America's first uh, taco professor. Yes, everyone, there there is a, a professor of tacos. Uh, you know where where you can you can uh, learn and eat tacos and and uh, develop your academic uh, prowess uh, regarding that. But um, actually, he uh, he teaches a a, a taco literacy course um, at uh, St. John's University in New York. Um, and before you guys jump on the the Pace Picante bandwagon of New York City, you know, get a rope. I, I the 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 irony and, and pun of that is not lost on me at this moment, but um, I'd like to introduce and welcome um, Dr. Stephen Alvarez. Hello, thank you. Yes, the um, that was the Pace Picante uh, advertisement. I, I remember that one growing up, and um, yeah, I'm, I'm, from, I'm from Arizona, so um, when I always thought about New York City, I was like my first impression too, like oh, they're not going to have very good sauce over there. But then it turned out to be well, maybe we'll go into that story too. But the Mexican food over here turned out to be way better than I, I was expecting. So the stereotypes were there, and that, that that just goes to say how Mexican food is basically spread everywhere, yeah, and um, and really transformed by where it goes, by also the people it impacts, and then the food and ingredients that are available. So hope I can talk a little bit about Wild Game. I grew up. Um, Right, you know, in Safford. So I grew up having friends. You know, venison was pretty regular, um, javelina, quail, stuff like that. Uh, and then recently, I had a friend here in New York that made um, venison barbacoa, uh, wow. the underground slow cook stuff in an agave leaf. Yeah. Really delicious. So that's you know, I think um, the McCormick stuff. I don't know what to say about that. I, I do. I can say I think McCormick recently just created created a taco ambassador as a paid position. So they're, they're in the game as well. Well, you know, um, they, they did. Um, I, I, no one is sure. Like we haven't heard who actually got that position. Um, it's, oh, no, it was, uh, I don't remember her name, but she was, a she's a chef, but she has like an online, um, cooking show. And I think that's what they were really looking for to do like an online cooking show to use their ingredients basically. Right. Um, so anyway, you know, it's, well, how would I put it? McCormick is, is one company that's, you know, uh, capitalized on Mexican food. There's a number of them, but usually in this kind of case, it's to, it's, it's to uh, reproduce the kind of food in an efficient and quick way. Right. And really, I guess the only thing you can kind of pour it on is probably ground beef. I'm, I'm thinking of like hamburger helper. It's like, you know, the base of what you can put anything on to hopefully give it some kind of additional flavor. Um, but I couldn't imagine putting it on any kind of game. I mean, that would be, <laughs> uh, I don't, that would be such a waste. So I, then I was thinking, well, if you burned it, maybe it smelled good. Maybe it smelled like incense or something. <laughs> I could appreciate that. Um, yeah, having it, having that, those packets burn over, uh, uh, you know, hot mesquite, um, here in Arizona was, a was, a, was kind of an interesting yeah. aroma. I mean, even there, I mean, you know, being around mesquite and smelling that and already knowing that that smoke's going to give a particular flavor that's local, uh, that's really a tradition of like a Sonoran-style Mexican food as well. Um, yeah. Cooking with mesquite is really important. But then, you know, really cool. So I'm, you know, I'm glad you uh, – it was a learning moment. So there was some taco literacy happening with y'all. On your yeah. Too, so. Well, Dr. Alvarez, explain to the listeners what – taco literacy is in, in terms of this course and, and that? Mm -hmm. uh, well, first I have to, 
I guess maybe it's easier enough to know what a taco is. So sure. Like, yeah, I know that is right. We can start there. Uh, but then I have to go turn to literacy, I think, because I think if you start for, because literally, literally taco is describing literacy in the name of the course. Um, so literacy, so my background is I'm a literacy scholar and my research and the books I write have been about traditionally more Mexican, but also Latin American and Latinx uh, migration to, to different places, Kentucky, New York City, and how people learn to be bilingual. Sometimes, unfortunately, um, having to repress Spanish for social circumstances for various reasons, politically, but also sometimes socially as well, but just the way different people negotiate using language. We're never thinking about people being um, lacking any kind of intelligence or never even thinking about people lacking anything. Uh, that happens a lot for um, well, for students of color, unfortunately, we're sort of, and, and generally, I think for education, it can be said that there's a model of education that thinks of students as empty vessels and that they're supposed to be poured in with like reading and writing. Uh, there's another way of looking at literacy, which is moving away from literacy as something people have or don't have, but as something people use. So literacy is a practice. And in this way, we get rid of people, you know, students being full or empty and just coming to understand students come and they bring their own skills to a classroom. And there may be not necessarily those that line up with um, the standards of the school, but there might be other kind of practices that have to do with like practices around the home. Could be, for example, cooking, gardening, hunting, for example, things that have to do more on a day-to-day basis, but are still grounded in language. And so anyway, you know, the, the research I was doing was always thinking literacy in this way. Literacy is a practice and also how literacy gives dignity to people's lives. Well, I should have known because when I was doing all this research with people, families were always bringing me food. And they were doing it mostly because I was like a starving graduate student. It was also because I was helping kids with their homework. And uh, a lot of these families, you know, uh, some of them were from Mexico and the parents had maybe, you know, middle school education. And I was helping the kids with the homework and the food was their way of saying thank you because we you know, we see you see our kid and we see you too. And here is this food and we made this food and this food is care. Well, you know, I'm Mexican too, Mexican-American. And I realized like this was the way that my grandma used to show care for me because she couldn't speak English very well. And I grew up English dominant. And I always knew for a long time that was like uh, when people give you food and you know they made it, it, there was a kind of bond that said like, I'm thinking about you, especially if it tastes good. Because if, <laughs> yeah. if they're making that food, it tastes bad. That might be a reason too. But anyway, so uh, coming all back to this, you know, later on, I started doing more research and uh, got into food studies. And then I started seeing like these intersections of literacy and the ways people think about food are really interesting because, um, for example, some of these same women that was, um, you know, helping their kids with homework, and this was like, you know, middle school English homework and so on. They had these incredibly uh, complex recipes for moles that they had brought from, from Puebla, from where they live in central Mexico, and all these really delicious recipes and other things that they had developed that were really, really complex and intricate. But that wasn't going to be something that was necessarily measured on a standardized test. Right. So then I started to realize, well, there's ways we can think about food ways and also literacy to read, most importantly, to link Mexican food back to Mexican people because the food is part of a kind of cultural expression in the same way I think literature is too. And so for me, it became a really uh, cool uh, way for me to kind of bring it all back together. So it's literacy, but then I had to really you know, kind of come up with a way to move it into literacy. And I was like, well, the taco kind of does it all because you can read all these layers of history and most importantly, bring it back to people and people's ways of language to the tacos. So it was kind of a long, a long sort of circle, but it, all, it always came back for me. I think, you know, myself being first generation college student, 
and going on to be a first-generation PhD. Um, had pretty humble background. My mom and dad were janitors growing up. Uh, I used to go clean offices with them when I was a little guy. And I remember thinking, like, you know, it was pretty rough, but we always had enough to eat. It was always beans and tortillas. Get me wrong. <laughs> but it was something that got me. Even when I went to college, my mom was sending me, like, frozen bags of, like, frozen bags of, like, what do you call these? Freezer bags of beans. <laughs> like sure. tortillas. She's, in fact, I just got a bag of six dozen tortillas the other day from Mikasa Tortillas that she sent over here. You know, So that, that stuff has always been impactful for me, but also it got me to realize that sometimes, especially these days, and historically too, I think the, the tension between being neighbors, the United States and Mexico is, has its highs and lows, uh, but there's a place where we can always sort of meet and agree to see eye to eye. It's like, well, we love food. And even Americans are like, well, we like your food a lot. And uh, Mexicans are really proud of our food. So that was also a way for me to, to think about, well, what's a way that uh, we can have a humanizing stance and at least have some of these conversations that might move beyond food, but at least we can have a taco together to start. Right. Yeah. No. And that's that's it, it, precisely, I think, why, um, you know, I, I, I was excited to, to get in touch with you and, and have this discussion today because um, sure. I think you were the, the perfect person to, to relay some of those things uh, to a lot of the audience members. I mean, like I said, it, some sometimes, I mean, you don't have to have a deep thought about a taco, um, but there's a lot of depth in every taco um, when you, when you kind of dig into it. And, and surprisingly, um, you know, tacos are, are starting to become that universal, you thing that that uh, like i said i mean it's it's rivaling the hamburger at this point in america um where uh we're in popularity and and use and and certainly in in wild game cooking i know a lot of a lot of friends and folks um I, i'm just trying to figure out where to to start uh kind of unpacking this topic um mm-hmm. because there's there's so many different layers and levels so like i i guess let's Let's start with the taco because I think you and I, you and I, will get into a discussion maybe a little bit later about uh, flour tortillas because I think that's important as well. Sure. But um, really, the 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 taco itself, I guess, you know, starts with the tortilla um, in general, right? Yeah, I'd say so. I mean, well, I, I would put it this way: that in the same way that um, folks who enjoy having a wild game and I don't know. Put it this way. It's the vessel that brings the wild game to your mouth that you can also eat the vessel. You can't right. go wrong. It's flatbread, uh, but it's a corn-based flatbread. Well, the corn tortilla, but sure. then there's a flour tortilla too. So to really start thinking about, um, you know, to, to begin a taco, how to read a taco, I guess. The very first, and you know, we can start the tortilla you know, talk now. That one even goes on to a whole other level of race and colonialism and stuff too. Because uh, that's another way to read the taco. But actually, maybe to preface that, what you said before is like, yeah, you know, it's just a taco. Yeah, you know, cool. <laughs> it's a taco, yeah. Taco Tuesday, <laughs> pretty cool. Um, you can go to different places now and get them like on the, uh, I don't know, sports bar menu. Quesadilla was always kind of already there too, burritos or wraps. Uh, but tacos are ubiquitous. Burgers too, as you said before. But burgers, um, like the taco, that was brought by immigrants. So that was brought by the Germans as well as the hot dog. And then it becomes American food. And the taco... A little bit more complicated, I guess, because I guess maybe you know, to kind of break it down with some of the, uh, the listeners here, if I say taco and you're imagining the hard shell uh, emoji, the taco, <laughs> that taco, that is – yeah, that is a taco. It's true. Uh, that's the American taco, the U.S. taco, probably the one that's mass produced and most popularized by Taco Bell. 
for sure. Um, we would call the shell is actually a tortilla, though. It's a tortilla fried into a U shell, and that would be a corn tortilla. Now, that is actually modeled after a taco dorado, which is a golden taco, which is basically a corn tortilla fried, um, but golden. And that would be a taco dorado that you'd find mostly, uh, well, yeah, usually northern, well, I guess probably northern Mexico, but it's something that you know, Glenn Bell popularized and copied and also mass produced. Right, that's one thing. Your viewers, or your, excuse me, the listeners are also probably gone to places where you order tacos and sometimes it comes with only either uh, cilantro and onions. Yeah. You know, no, no cheddar cheese, right. <laughs> no, 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 no diced onions. That's cool. Maybe, maybe cabbage, uh, and maybe sometimes two corn tortillas stacked. Uh, but those are going to be some of the more you know, quote unquote traditional tacos. People might even call those street tacos, but the tacos that come from more recent migrations or, or more closely identify what tacos you might get in Mexico. And so anyway, um, other tacos might be on a flour tortilla, what folks call a soft taco. Yeah. So the hard and soft taco, those are much the U S tacos. So there's U S tacos, there's Mexican tacos, and just like anywhere you can imagine in the U.S. where there's regional different kind of foods, where like biscuits are more popular than cornbread in particular places, and people are having fights one or the other, even though I think you can have both. In Mexico, too, there are places where corn tortillas are more uh, part culturally than flour tortillas, and it also is somewhat of a division um, this kind of way. Again, I think you can have both. It's pretty cool. Yeah. Um, but anyway, so start off with the tortilla. When you read a taco, is it a corn tortilla? Is it a flour tortilla? Uh, you can even look at the kind of corn itself to even think about, is this a kind of uh, GMO corn or is this fair trade corn? Is this the kind of corn that is sort of, uh, was this tortilla made from ground corn or was it made from this sort of masa flour, instant flour, you just add water? Is there two tortillas or is there one tortilla? Because two tortillas signifies it comes from other place in, Cal- in, in Mexico. Excuse me. So that's just at the tortilla level. Um, even how to make a tortilla in the process to know what that is. It's a whole thing in terms of like the, the, you know, the transformation of corn into hominy as a process called nixtamalization. So this is the ancient, uh, well, I guess it goes back to Aztec because the word is Aztec, but I think it goes back to, the, uh, I don't know, predates the Maya folks, in fact. Um, but anyway, these, these are sort of contributions that are Mesoamerican that go into just be able to make the tortilla. And then what you put in the tortilla, well, that's kind of up to you. But I would say that um, going back before the Spaniards arrived, because when the Spaniards arrived, they also brought beef, cheese, chickens, uh, goats as well, which ravaged the landscape. Uh, so some of the traditional game I think folks were eating back then were turkey. Turkey was pretty prevalent. Um, I believe also there were there were some certain kind of dogs that were also brought for brought up for kind of uh, consumption, mm-hmm. something like a kind of like a chihuahua sort of kind of dog, and then I think of course like a lot of uh, salamanders and fish and things like that. But later on, when the Spaniards came, uh, they let goats just kind of run rampant, and then that became uh, where goat became later on a staple, and especially parts of Jalisco and so on for, for soups like birria and things. Yeah. And so anyway, I'm kind of rambling here, but uh, part of this is is like you know when. When I first started getting into this stuff, I had no idea there's such tremendous food history or food scholarship. I mean, you take your pick. It's so interesting. So I used to teach in Kentucky, and I would ask students about some of the local dishes because some students would be from Ohio. 
and there's this like spaghetti chili. Yeah. <laughs> yeah I had no idea. And there's other, other kind of German food ways that are very local. And students would speak about it with pride, especially if it's where they're from. And when I asked them the history, once they started digging through the history is when they started getting really interested. And so, you know, I would encourage all your listeners to get kind of a, it's a cool thing to kind of dig yourself into and you'll, you'll surprisingly find a lot more scholarship that'll also give you a lot more, um, I think a lot more joy when you eat the food, the more you know about it, it get, kind of gives you a different kind of satisfaction and appreciation for the history and also for, for really what's powering your body. I mean, it's so it's sort of ironic not to think, to think so little about something that becomes so ubiquitous about of who we are and how we power our body. And that just goes in general for all food. Yeah. I, I think, you know, evolutionarily um, in terms of, of humankind's, um, uh, development and, and, you know, how, how we, we evolved with, uh, eating cooked food. I mean, we're, we're the only species on the planet that eats, eats cooked food. Um, that, uh, I, I was reading something at, at one point where they said, you know, the, the goal was, okay, we had fire, we could cook food. And then it was, you know, starting to transform things into like, um, uh, a, a pot or a bowl, something to cook in, you know, that was, that was kind of a, a next big step. But then, uh, the idea of utensils, you know, a, a tool that's specifically used for either cooking or eating, um, right. in, in doing that. And, and the tortilla basically was, was kind of a, a, a stab at an edible spoon, <laughs> I guess sure. in, in, in some ways. Um, and, and yeah, so I think they, I, I think one, I don't know exactly when they pin it down, but they think that the tortilla, uh, the original, uh, maize tortillas and stuff were probably around 1000 BC or, mm. or possibly even earlier i don't know yeah i think well i want to say that corn was being cultivated oh man i remember checked my numbers right but i think it started around 3000 bc uh, and i could be wrong about that but yeah. definitely it's hard to say because i feel like uh just because corn was so ubiquitous i mean I, you're right i think it was a tool no doubt about it it was sustenance too and it was just like all the different ways that they were finding to to cook it uh and to preserve food um so I guess maybe the traditionally Mesoamerica, there was like the tortilla is one of the base. It, it all comes from masa, basically corn masa. And whether it's pounded flat and then cooked over an open flame or whether if it's wrapped in either a corn husk or a banana leaf or plantain leaf, excuse me, and then steamed as a tamal. Um, these were sort of like the two kind of vehicles that were really um, – built empires i mean built civilizations it was able to have food that was grown but also so people could eat to be able to build these gigantic uh, architectural structures and so on and so it's it's really it's really it's pretty fantastic or pretty i didn't think about the part about the food and you know and utensils but it makes a lot of sense um maybe the fire had something to do with you know trying to preserve food i think i had read some stuff about the history of salt salt by the way has a really fascinating <laughs> like oh incredible but like uh, part of it was thinking about how to preserve food um, well, how to preserve it in one way, but also how to increase flavor, but then how that, how that, I think maybe the preservation got into like our way of just desiring the food as well, maybe even more than the food, I guess. Right. But yeah, I never really thought about just like, I don't know, there is a research paper for somebody to I'm gonna ask one of my students, somebody please research the history of the spoon. I want to <laughs> like or the fork. Chopsticks. I, I bet you there I imagine there's gotta be some people because you know, chopsticks as well, like they vary by region as well. Yeah. So like I, I imagine there's probably some really fascinating history stuff with that. I, and then I'm thinking 
yeah, you know, way back when, Mex- you know, historically, I believe some of the, I don't think Mexican folks really had like forks or really utensils like in, in the way we would think of them today. I mean, a lot of bowls and stuff right. like that was used for mixing, but you know, I'm not really sure about utensils and it makes a lot of sense that the tortilla really was used for everything. Yeah. And I, I think of it more the way it was used like, uh, was like some of the Ethiopian cuisine. If you ever have that sort of like ripped off and you just kind of grab stuff. Certainly when I grew up, that's the way like <laughs> my mom, my, well, my father made breakfast. Actually, my mom always gave me like fork, like a, proper human being my dad just gave me tortillas <laughs> so anyway well so let's let's actually jump into the flour tortilla because because i know there is like a, a a lot of misconceptions and uh debates about the flour tortilla um yeah. as as though it's it was some kind of you know american uh device oh. or, or invention <laughs> that that um you know was in place of that, but it actually wasn't. It was, it, it, it actually came with the, the Spanish, um, yeah. uh, when they came to Mexico, correct? Yeah. 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 For sure. Well, you know, I mean, I'll put it this way. Yeah. It's the, maybe the Spanish kind of set the model yeah. <laughs> and then the Americans kind of capitalized it like as a neo-colonial model, but to, to put it in perspective, I guess the, uh, the tor- well, first off when the Spaniards came, uh, the tortilla is actually called Laxcali. That's what the, the Nahuatl word was, but the Spaniards couldn't pronounce it. But to, to them, it sounded like tortilla. So if you ever go to Spain and you get a tortilla, you're not going to get a tortilla. You're going to get like a quiche. <laughs> so that's one thing. Uh, so they called it, you know, they called it their own name and it became a tortilla. So basically, it was just the uh, the corn flatbread. You know, that was that was nixtamalized corn and was um, pounded into you know, flat discs that was cooked over an open flame. All right. Well, when the Spaniards came, uh, they did. It was the first time a European had encountered corn. I mean, certainly this kind of corn kind of bread. Uh, and so different kind of um, theorists look at this way that the uh, through, through empire, it was one thing for the Spaniards to try to eliminate corn to build new markets for wheat. To try to eradicate corn, it was also essential to the indigenous cosmovision, really, um, from everything to the farming to the constellations of the stars and how they built their architecture was built on basically uh, the calendar for corn. They consider themselves people of corn. And so anyway, um, the idea was that if they eradicated corn and they would use wheat, and they would build a new market to be able to sell wheat and also grow wheat. Um, to eradicate all the corn, you'd make grow large monocrops or plantations of wheat. So this was the European mindset. Uh, tried to eradicate corn and also the way was thinking that, well, we are superior to you. And the reason why we're so much better is because we eat corn. So therefore, be like us, get rid of your corn so you can be more like your conquerors. The ideology assumes this anyway. At any rate, um, can't kill corn. People love corn. Corn is just, it was also like people weren't going to give up corn that easy. And it was always going to be a fight. So historically in Mexico, and it goes back, I think it's, you know, around a colonial period, you know, things start to change a little bit. But it was the idea that eating flour tortillas was associated with northern Mexico. So the northern frontier states where the border is roughly around these days today. So people in the northern states are more likely to eat flour tortillas. And that also grow, happened because of where wheat was growing in Mexico. Um, and there was also spart- less less concentrated indigenous settlements there. And so anyway, so and flour tortillas ended up being something that just were able to last a little bit longer in the frontier states. Corn tortillas remained pretty strong in the south. So it was sort of like this, <clears throat> excuse me, this racial divide between... Uh, so-called like white or European descended Spanish blood who would eat 
or mestizos, he would eat flour tortillas in preference to corn tortillas. I think it was most folks were having both, <laughs> to be quite honest. People were having both. There was, you know, but more likely that if, if folks who were having flour tortillas are probably more likely to have corn because it's sometimes they're really hard to find in southern Mexico. Well, you know, fast forward a little bit further. Uh, flour tortillas, because in the border, a little bit more prevalent, especially like in Sonora and those kind of places in Arizona. Um, but, you know, go even further, it's like around the 1980s, uh, NASA had tortillas in the space shuttle one with the astronaut group, partly because uh, bread was getting stuck in the vents and stuff like that. So they were making like breakfast burritos in space. And then eventually I believe these are the tortillas that were the ones that Taco Bell started selling because the shelf life lasted for who knows how long. So put it this way, the the flour tortilla was already kind of modeled on a, on a, for some folks as a model of European imperialism, but it also became mixed because it was a flour it was initially used for bread, but then became adapted to the flatbread kind of style. So it has elements of both. It has yeah. kind of you know, the, the disc and also the uh, the technique that was indigenous, but with a different kind of material. But you know, so it's still it's something of the new world, really. Yeah. Um, but it didn't really, you know, it catches on these days where we call it more for wraps. I mean, it's a tortilla. Come on now. <laughs> yeah. But anyway, it's but it's you know it's 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 it is ubiquitous in this kind of way, and so. Um, you know, later on in Mexico too, there was a tradition or there was a migration of Lebanese people, uh, turn of the uh, 20th century, uh, people who were Syrians as well and Iraqi people, people who were Armenians too, people who were uh, part of a genocide among, uh, Turkish and German folks. So a lot of, uh, um, folks from Lebanon went to a place called Puebla and they brought, uh, shawarma, the big shawarma spits, right? Yeah. And so they also brought their bread, which was kind of like a pita bread. But in Mexico, they didn't understand it as pita bread. They called it pan arabe or Arab bread. Yeah. <laughs> right? So they had the pan arabe and then they started seeing like it sliced off into their bread. And they're like, oh, that looks like a, that's a taco arabe. We want one of those Arab tacos. So later on, these became the kind of the grandfather of the uh, taco al pastor. Right. So, you know, it's really interesting where the tradition, you know, because in the same way that immigrants come to the United States and they rejuvenate the cuisine and they, they bring new things that change over time to the immigrants who are already established here, the same thing happens in Mexico. So Mexican food is constantly evolving with new migrants. These days, a lot of Haitian folks who are in Mexico, uh, Central Americans more so than ever. And that's changing the cuisine as well. And, then, and that in turn will change the cuisine when more folks from Mexico come to the United States here. Yeah. Yeah, no. And, and, for me, like um, one of the stories that I had heard was actually one of the slaves of the conquistadors. Um, uh, he, this, it was kind of this neat story that one of the slaves, he brought um, some kind of heritage grain. We don't know exactly where from. Uh, and they were much further south uh, in Mexico at the time. But uh, somehow, you know, he was, he was, it was kind of bringing a piece of him with him to, to, you know, the, the new world. And, uh, Somehow, some of those seeds ended up with Father Kino, and that was the transition of how uh, it got into Sonora and, and created what we call the heritage grain Sonoran white wheat, um, which is used throughout Sonora and, and you know, has kind of seen a resurgence here in Arizona uh, that develops our style of, of flour tortillas because, you know, for anyone out there, I, I think, um, you know, the biggest thing kind of stepping back for a minute. Uh, I, I have, I've have talked to folks who say, 
well, oh, I don't like Mexican food. And I'm, I'm like, I don't understand that statement. Um, for one, because, you know, they're, they're kind of encapsulating everything into one, uh, one segment. And, uh, you know, trying to explain to someone, and, and, and I'd love to hear your thoughts on this, but if you went just in the United States to California, Arizona, New Mexico, and Texas, you would find four distinctly different, um, cuisines, uh, you know, typified by, by various different aspects of, of, uh, the culture, but then also, you know, getting into Mexico, I've heard everything in Mexico from that. There are, are seven distinct cuisines, 12, 14, um, you know, but Arizona and New Mexico are right side by side next door to each other. And our foods couldn't be any more different. Our tortillas are very different. Um, they use a flour tortilla that's, it's quite a bit thicker and puffier. Ours is, is characterized, you know, very similarly by Sonora as well, that, that it's very thin, um, elastic and pliable. Like you were talking about, uh, Mikasa Tortilleria out there in Safford. I've, I've been there many times and, and, um, so when Randy comes down and he's not in charge of, of bringing tortillas to hunt camp. So that's, that's kind of the one saving grace I think I have, but, um, uh, kind of let's, you know, look at that as well. You know, how, how those different, um, kind of cultural areas and geopolitical boundaries really do define some different, uh, you know, ideas in the taco. Sure. I mean, you're right to point out, uh, well, that's not, you know, on the, on the borderlands, of course. And, uh, I think it must've been a few years ago, my friend Gustavo Ariano wrote a really good book called Taco USA. Mm-hmm. I recommend for everybody goes into a lot of this history of, uh, every chapter is different, uh, portion of Mexican food. So going to like the history of the margarita, the history of the numbered plate where you order plate by the number, um, difference between burritos from NorCal and SoCal and so on. Um, so, but he, uh, did a edited, a, I guess I want to say a collection online on Eater, which you can find online called United States of Mexican Food. And it goes into a lot of different kind of regional varieties of Mexican food. So uh, these tater tot burritos that happen in the Northwest, or excuse me, the Midwest, uh, the kind of tacos that are in Kansas City covered with Parmesan cheese. So if you can read up a little bit on these kind of variations for, you know, for your listeners who are, who are curious and to learn a little bit more about the diversity of Mexican food. But yeah, you're right. You know, if you were to take a trip on the I-10, uh, you can really find some, I would even keep going further because I think you're going to find even cool, even more cool Mexican food, the further you get into the South and going towards Georgia as well. Um, but certainly the, you know, the places where they've been, you know, folks have been there the longest where it used to be Mexico, those four States you mentioned. Um, you're right. Uh, looking at the tortilla in those four places, is kind of interesting because I always think of, uh, Texas having these really hearty, thick tortillas. And that's also because there's a lot of these stew, like these guisado tacos. So they got to be pretty hefty to hold a lot of that stuff. And then New Mexico, they get a little bit thinner. And in Arizona, they get pretty thin. And in California, California is kind of like, Southern California's got a little bit of everything. (laughs) So it's like, it just has, it has a lot of Sonoran influence, but it has just a lot of everything, which is kind of beautiful, which I love for for all those reasons. But also more importantly, like the uh, the Tijuana influence with seafood and beautiful, all that great stuff. Uh, But you're right, you know, I think... um, Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. 
What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America NA, member FDIC. The best way I can put it is like, uh, for folks who haven't been there, maybe the idea about Mexican food that might be popularized is thinking about fast food on one hand or Tex-Mex, which is one genre of Mexican food. And one genre that sometimes folks get upset about. I, I, I respect it for what it is. I know what I'm getting myself into with Tex-Mex. I grew up with that stuff too. I appreciate it. But I also re- uh, don't think of it as the be-all and end-all of what Mexican food is. That's kind of one facet. And it's a very American, it's a very Texas thing. <laughs> um, and then New Mexico, I, I love to think about, like, especially with the green chilies, but also mutton and um, you know the blue corn and some of the tradition. I think there has a little bit more of like uh, ranching communities, but it has a lot, very much a Texas influence. Although northern New Mexico and southern New Mexico are very different because El Paso and Las Cruces, so that area is kind of unique too. Even Tucson and Phoenix, I think, have their kind of variety and difference as well. Um, but yeah, you're right. You know, And part of this is, I guess, maybe pointing to a larger question is the kind of regionalism that happens. So there's a regionalism that happens in Mexico, and then there's a regionalism that happens with the migration in the United States. So that in the same way that there's a kind of taco that is a version of Michoacan, which is the Mexican state, or a kind of taco in Puebla, or Oaxaca, or Yucatan, and they all have their kind of signature tacos because every state is really proud of their food. It's really big for tourists and to promote how they're unique from every other state. Not unlike what we do too, I guess. Um, Once folks migrate to the United States, wherever they come from, they might bring that tradition from wherever they're from and then adapt to whatever ingredients are available, what things are new there. And so this is really beautiful now because historically those places we mentioned were, you know, historically have been um, close to the United States since, well, since, since they became nations ostensibly, or since there was the wars in in the mid 19th century, uh, places where there's more recent Mexican migration is we're seeing some really interesting, cool adaptations and changes. So, you know, there is um, in New York City here, as I mentioned before, a lot more folks, folks coming from Puebla and Oaxaca. And this is meaning things like really cool al pastor pizza, <laughs> New York slices with al pastor on, which is really great. Um, things change with New York, but then like likewise, there's a lot more pizza in Puebla for folks who go back. There's like New York style pizza there too. And so things kind of have this kind of synergy. And what I love about this though is that, unfortunately, um, we mentioned before about the Pace Picante commercial about New York City. What do you know about Mexican food? Well, there are a lot of Mexican folks here. So yeah, you can't, before there weren't as many. So yeah, you wouldn't expect folks to know about Mexican food, but there's Mexican folks here who are like doing really cool stuff in terms of chefs, uh, working in some of the highest high-end restaurants, most of the high-end restaurants, in fact. And so learning different kinds of techniques, which they also apply to some of the techniques that are like ancestral. And also thinking about you know, you know where they come from in terms of many of the folks have, uh, if not two, two to one to two, maybe even three generations of roots where they're not far that removed from the land, um, from where their foot, you know, their family used to work, and so that's a, a, a different kind of, of respect for what's what's the potential, and then maybe sometimes what we lose because of the kind of farming and food industry, you know, stuff we have to deal with in this country, which we get a lot of good prices on stuff, but sometimes the quality of food is not what we can. You know, we should be desiring or even demanding. Yeah. You know, uh, one of the things that, that I think um, is, is key to a lot of the listeners who, you know, especially, you know, you hunt, you cook your own game. I, I just want to point out um, that likely the taco introduced all of you um, to not only, not only adding words to your lexicon. I mean, we're talking about cooking meat 
but it's also given you kind of some additional outlets uh, for how you cook that meat. Um, in addition to those lexiconal words, uh, carnitas, barbacoa, uh, chorizo. Um, chorizo is becoming much more ubiquitous uh, in, in wild game preparation, you know, for those folks doing it at home. And, and uh, it, learning about, you know, those, those traditions of, of how that was prepared and, and you know, the flavors and, and what kind of comes into that, I mean, really kind of expands your your own abilities and your own knowledge and and things like that and so i think that's to me why i i thought you know this is the taco is really an important subject uh (laughs) in terms of wild game and you know some people may not see the connection right away but um as we we've kind of gone into this renaissance of of wild game and, and of course that's regionally different across the country too i mean you know Certainly, you know, you hear talk about javelina and things like that down here. And, and so, you know, I start looking at, at Conchonita Peeville and, and El Pastor and, and all those things. I mean, there's, there's such a grand variety that comes with uh, meats that are prepared for tacos, um, you know, that, that I think of as, has expanded um, our, uh, our, our culinary skills uh, here with, with wild game. Um, Cool. Now, that's really exciting to think about. I mean, as soon as you're saying like uh, different kinds of chorizo, I'm like, wait, what? Yeah. Because um, I feel like uh, more, how would I put it, higher end chefs um, are looking for different ways of like doing, well, I'll put it this way. For a long time, like uh, duck carnitas was pretty big because they're like, all right, pork carnitas are good. One hand, though, there are a lot of people who can't eat por- uh, pork. So that's all. So we have to do different things for the menu, but the preparation was important. Uh, and then folks were doing different things. I mean, even folks were doing like, uh, for Jewish folks, we're having a lot more pastrami that they're mixing into like burritos and tacos and things like that. Uh, in the sense that, you know, I can see some really, uh, oh, maybe I have to think of like different ways you could do barbacoa, like you said, with javelina as a pibil or as a slow cook, like, oh, I bet that would be amazing. Um, and, you know, part of this too is I guess it's a different way of honoring the different sort of traditions that are techniques. But really, the techniques themselves are going to bring uh, highlight to the flavor of the meat because the meat's always a star. In, in addition to usually the chilies or the spices, and so that also would give a different dimension to the way I would imagine, like um, moving away from McCormick. Um, but you yeah. know, like uh, you know, like uh, I'm just thinking about like some of the delicious red chili uh, from New Mexico. What that would be on just about anything, really. Yeah. <laughs> it's so delicious, uh, but slow cooked as well. I was like a guisado. And then, of course, always for me, like you know, with tortillas, I just can't I – mean, I don't know. Because tortillas are such a everyday thing. That's like – that's I have – I don't even have – I have bread. I always have tortillas. This is just how I, I how I operate. So I'm already thinking like, oh, this sounds delicious. But it also sounds what I think what, what higher-end restaurants are moving towards too. So different kinds of meat but still in this kind of tradition that's Mexican. And I say this mostly like in you know, New York City. I think we – I think across the country there are – five Michelin uh, Mexican restaurants and three are in New York city. And, you know, which surprising enough. And um, so these are higher end though. And these are like places where, you know, the taco is a little bit more expensive, but also sometimes there's the idea that Mexican food should be like cheap food, but there is some of these traditions that are like as relevant. I think the French cooking, you know, go back even longer. And so the techniques are proven. They're, they've been there for a long time. And I think they add a different dimension to um, the preparation. So that's really cool. I hope um, I encourage all of y'all. So if someone y'all does like the, Mex- the 
wild gang Mexican cookbook. Well, that would probably be pretty cool. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And, and I mean, I think, you know, um, it, like I said, it's, it's creativity, uh, within Mexican cuisine is, is just unbelievable. Um, you know, and, and, and your creativity, uh, when it comes, I mean, you're only limited by your imagination when it comes to tacos. Uh, because as long as you have a tortilla, you know, suddenly anything can almost become a, 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 a taco in an, in an essence, um, and, and different preparations. I mean, I think one of, uh, uh, one of my more recent kind of taco adventures was, was, was confit duck legs. Um, and then using a, a, a fig chipotle sauce that I just kind of came up with on the fly and, and, you know, really, really working through those things. It, it, tacos are just they're amazing i mean who doesn't like tacos yeah, no, no, i mean it's it's uh well you know i think maybe sometimes it's the what goes in the tacos what folks really stress but i really think you know if you get a really good tortilla and i think maybe like this would be the difference for um you know for your listeners to think about like if you've ever had a really fresh tortilla and i mean like not necessarily the ones you get them from the store and you heat them up but like one kind of comes from a tortilla factory and so that might be a word for folks to look up or tortilleria is how we say it in spanish and that might give you like a different kind of set to look up on um, google maps but getting fresh corn tortillas or fresh flour tortillas it's just like getting fresh bread and um it's one of the best oh one of my happiest experiences ever like really growing up was my mom was making flour tortillas and she would give them to me right off the stack with like the stick of butter just like (laughs) butter it up but like uh you know, I, I think uh, having a good tortilla makes the difference. I mean, what you put inside is, is really important, but to know the quality of the tortilla is like really fundamental and to have a good tortilla. And, you know, to be honest, uh, you can get some pretty good local tortillas most places. I would definitely check, especially in the Southwest, of course. If you're limited, some folks might find yourself limited. I think uh, I think Trader Joe's actually has some pretty good flour tortillas. Not bad. And uh, Whole Foods, too, actually, you know, of course. Well, yeah. And if you're interested in making your own, um, oh, yeah. you know, the Sonoran flour tortillas are, are by far the simplest, um, oh, in terms of the amount of ingredients. It's, it's yeah. just a lot of, a lot of elbow grease and, and, sure. you know, some love in there. And, and, yeah, uh, I think, I, I guess maybe the, uh, well, to be truly Sonoran, you should be using manteca or lard, right? Or, uh, you can use Crisco if you need to, but some folks would just use water. Um, you know, you can do it that way too. Uh, but yeah, you know, if, if you're really into, uh, yeah, I think that would be the ultimate fresh way and you can see the process of making tortillas too really gets you to appreciate how much the labor that goes into these. And, and historically, uh, in Mexico, this was considered women's work, the work that was from the division of labor that women would do that be invisible by men. It would just be stacks of tortillas that were just there, but women waking up early in the morning, sometimes to prepare the corn to soak it and grind it the flour a little bit different i guess but um, even in mexico when mills became mechanized uh started transforming from women's work to men's work once they become mass produced and engineers started taking more of the sort of like the lead in making tortillas so even in mexico too there, there is a really interesting uh, uh politics of tortillas mass produced tortillas and then it becomes later on to make this kind of uh corn powder so masa masa harina um, corn flour and that became a whole other industry as well to kind of make Mexicans wanted their tortillas but to make them as efficient as possible because like you said it's so it's so laborious but that also meant that now these days most Mexicans buy their tortillas a lot of times at Walmart 
sometimes tortillas made in the United States. They're not very good. <laughs> but um, yeah, you know, and some of the folks you know who sell tortillas who are Mexican folks who move to the United States, but also in Mexico, these are very wealthy people. Uh, there's tortilla conventions. There's tortilla magnets. They're also the same folks who will make chips. And so they don't just make tortillas. You know, they make all these other tortilla affiliated related products, tostada shells and so on. So it's a... Yeah, tortillas are a thing. People love tortillas. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, make, making making your own. So, this is one of the other uh, kind of things. Is is uh, uh, and let me let me ask your opinion: flour chips or corn chips? Oh, you know, I love them both. It's kind of like the same thing with uh, cornbread or, or biscuits. I'm like, I love them both. <laughs> I have them both. <laughs> but you know, I think uh, flour chips I grew up with in Arizona and Safford. Uh, but then I went to other places. I, I realized they weren't as popular, um, to not exist it really. And so those ones I usually associate with like Southern Arizona or like, uh, New Mexico. And they're really, for me, not, not as common in other places, you know? Um, so, but they usually, you know, give me some nostalgia because I can even think of the restaurant I used to go to where I used to get flour, you know, flour chips. So pretty yeah. cool. Yeah. I, I, one of the other uh, encouragements I would have for the listeners, you know, if, if they're starting to explore this area and, and think about it is, you know, certainly the peppers, uh, mm. the, the, the variety and a, an array of peppers and heat levels and tastes and flavors that come along with that. I, I, in an earlier podcast, I was, I was visiting with my friend Jesse there in New Mexico and, and, uh, kind of gave away a little secret that, that, you know, the chili powder in my house is, is actually certified Chimayo, uh, red, uh, chili pepper from New Mexico, which I think, you know, has made kind of a big difference, but, you know, part of that comes through, uh, just, just the exploration. I mean, there, there are everything from, you know, not hot to super hot, um, and everything in between in, in several different ways. And, uh, with Amazon and stuff right now, I mean, you can order dried chilies, you know, of, of pretty much any variety. Um, it seems like, and, and even, you know, maybe check your local areas and see if, you know, if, if you can't get it, you know, see if you can start growing it, you know, a little yeah. a small greenhouse or something like that. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, definitely having fresh jalapenos is a great thing if you want to like pickle them and just use them for, you know, for any kind of cooking. Um, but why I put this, uh, yeah, there's so many different chilies. Uh, usually if you get a pretty good Mexican cookbook, there will be a part where they'll kind of describe different kinds of chilies. So there's, you know, there's the fresh chilies and then there's the smoked chilies and the dried chilies. And I came to realize that the dried chilies were the place for me. And I was like, uh, you know, and then combinations of different chilies too, in the same way moles will sometimes have, you know, six, seven, eight different kinds of chilies combined and you know, make a really rich sauce. And so the sauces are really the secret. I think, but also different ways you could use them as and grind them up for powder and paste and things like that too. Um, you know, I guess maybe the the best. I guess we'll put it this way: sometimes um, you might get some chilies, and they might be mild. But sometimes there's always you know, sometimes there's one. <laughs> there's one that might be a little bit spicy. So you never know. It. Um, but I, I would tell your listeners a couple things. One, surprisingly, maybe in Walmart in the quote unquote Hispanic aisle, take a look down there, and the spices there. You'll see sometimes there'll be dried chilies in bags, and you can kind of look them over smell them a little bit uh chipotles or for example the smoked dried jalapenos and there's some other ones that are ancho chilies and, and they're just they're long and dark you'll find all kinds of youtube tutorials on how to work with them how to soak them and then how to blend them up and then use them to as a base to cook with or to preserve or freeze or whatever 
Um, what's really cool though is once you start messing with them and, and cooking with them, you'll see like the darker ones have a different kind of texture and flavor, and maybe a smoky flavor, and then which ones are spicier. Um, I like to combine like different kind of reds and blacks. They just seem to kind of work really well with kind of flavors for me. But yeah, the chilies become a star, and it really became a thing for me. Um, why uh, I guess growing up, um, I was always kind of curious because sometimes it's carne con chile or chile con carne. And I was like, yeah, it should be chile con carne because I think the chili is sometimes a star, um, especially with like some of the stuff from like um, like the Pueblo chilies or some of the New Mexico red chilies, the hatch chili too. But I really love the red chilies from New Mexico. Those have been like, uh, the, my mom sends me bags of those too, actually. So I love that stuff. But yeah, I, I would tell you, um, as an additional way of thinking about, you know, historically what the chili pepper has been across the globe. I mean, it's really defined cuisines. So, you know, I think some of the origins are somewhere from the Amazon, I believe. And then it just spreads, of course, all over uh, you know, the Americas. And then, of course, with the Spaniards, it finds its way to like Sichuan food. And just I don't know if anyone could imagine um, Indian food without peppers <laughs> or some of the Chinese food without peppers or what that must have been like. Likewise, though, Italian food without tomatoes because tomatoes came from Mesoamerica as well. And so anyway, this is, uh, you know, the, the pepper itself you know, changed food. Like, I think – Earlier, you were saying before about some folks who were saying like maybe they would kind of block up and say I don't like Mexican food. Yeah, spice. I would imagine maybe spice might be the reason why you know turns off a lot of folks. Unfortunately, um, you can build up a tolerance, <laughs> yeah. um, but also it's it becomes a thing where um, I think it highlights something about the flavor of the meat, and but also the meat creates a different kind of flavor for the chili peppers too. So they're worth experimenting with. Um, and like I said, one more thing besides going to uh, checking your local aisle at Walmart, uh, if there is a Hispanic Hispanic grocery store, definitely go in there. Don't be afraid to stop in there. Uh, with my students when I was in Kentucky as well, taught in the University of Kentucky in Lexington, there is a barrio called Mexington because you know who lives over there, close by where the horse farms are. And there are some big, pretty big Mexican grocery stores over there. And I had one student who wanted to do a study uh, examining organic food at Whole Foods um, and also at this Mexican grocery store. He wanted to check out prices and quality of food and things. Well, anyway, you know, he asked me if it would be okay if he went to the Mexican grocery store. I'm like, well, why not? Like, well, they let me in. I only speak English. I'm like, hey, man. People do that all the other time, but they do it in the reverse. <laughs> you know, yeah. they want you know. So anyway, but he went in there, and I was like, especially bring money, bring money to like you better buy stuff. <laughs> but anyway, um, he was going through. It was like all these kind of products he never knew. You know, some of them were the different kind of peppers. I remember. Yeah. So you know, checking out different kind of peppers if you have any of these cool markets, and also some of the really fresh ingredients as well, um, and for pretty good prices as well. Some pretty good fresh ingredients too, and it's also a cool way to see uh, some of the other stuff with like. Once you start looking at chilies, the next thing you know is Mexican candy. Get ready for that one. Spicy yeah. candies too. So you just once you get down that rabbit hole, well then you know how we say it. it's like. Well, the way I put it is, once we have you with your food, then you can't help but love us. Because once you love the Mexican people, you'll love the Mexican food even more. Yeah, I, I, I can, I can second that. I, I when I started kind of my journey um, into into expanding my horizons and in, in Mexican cuisine and culture, you know, here's this big six foot four white guy walking into to the El Rancho market or carnicerias or whatever. And, and, uh, you know, I, I think for me, you know, learning a little Spanish certainly helps. Um, and, uh, 
I wasn't after a while. I mean, I wasn't afraid of, of talking to, to the abuelas uh, who were shopping to ask them which which brand of, of this they preferred over another, you know, for their cooking and and yeah. trying to understand that. And um, uh, the cheeses, helping to understand the cheeses or, or you know, the certain meats and stuff um, that, That's that, cool. that come out of Mexico. It's it's uh, there. There's a lot there, um, you know, surprisingly. No, Sure, you're right. I mean, part of it is too, it's like, I, you know, I can imagine the the kind of delight some of the folks too have some folks come in there and be like, you're asking me because yeah, because I actually, you know, you need to ask me because I do know this stuff. Yeah. But also it's like when you can turn to them because like, I need your expertise because I know you know this stuff because this is, I'm in your place, right? And I know I'm coming, I'm coming to you, but also that you're there. And that says something about like, you know, I put it the reverse. Like there is, as, as this young man was pointing out, is, is it going to be okay if I go in this place? I don't speak Spanish. I'm like, yeah, fine. There, people were bilingual. You'll, you'll, you'll find somebody, especially if you bring money. They'll make sure you will get your help. <laughs> but also think about all the folks who come to the United States and they may not speak English and that they feel that they're not welcome when they go to the grocery store or that they can't turn and ask somebody or they feel ashamed about talking to somebody or, or that if they don't speak English, that they would have to be ashamed or even try to hide that or disguise it because people might tell them to go back to where they come from or something. So to be in that position, I think is humbling on one hand, but also humbling. And it hopefully it gives us a better understanding of that thing that connects us that if, you know, even if there is a language barrier and you're still sort of miming the words about like this chili, good, spicy, hot, and you're getting some kind of recognition, you see somebody eye to eye, you can talk about food. That's a good place for us to start rather than having like these Twitter debates about like telling people to go back to where they come from and things like that. You know, if we can have those kind of human experiences, I think that you know, brings us, it celebrates what, what brings us together rather than what divides us. Yeah. And, and as kind of a side note, um, I was in Spain, um, uh, back in 2019 a year before the pandemic and i had to catch a cab uh <laughs> somewhere and and uh uh granted i my spanish is is not that great but you know i can i know enough to get by and and uh, uh that and and the the cab drivers uh could immediately peg me um you know <laughs> as having a, a a mexican accent um even though i was being an american you know uh getting through there and they were like, yeah, yeah, don't worry. My English is bad too. So, like, uh, cause it wasn't the Castilian Spanish, you know? Uh, but, uh, and I did get to experience the, the Spanish, uh, tortilla, the, as a, as a tapas dish there, which is not anything like a tortilla here in the, in the States or, or in Mexico. So, um, it's, uh, it, it is very much like a quiche. It was, it was, uh, it was enjoyable to, to see and taste just kind of that difference of, you know, yeah. uh, language and, and, and result. Hey, it's, it's, it can be appreciated also. Um, Spanish, you know, they got the good cheese. They got some good wine. Um, they did a lot, you know, for Mexican, for Mexican food, it's kind of, uh, well, especially like in Northern Mexican food where like some of the tamales will have like olives and raisins. And that's like usually a hallmark of Spanish food ways and, and, and you know, uh, California kind of style food. And so actually maybe for your, uh, for your listeners too, another way to think about this is wherever you are, the, the different kind of, you know, where people come from in Mexico and also United States, tamales will vary as well and what's inside tamales. So that's another food to kind of compare with, um, with tacos and who knows, maybe, uh, trying out with some game. I don't know. Uh, the tamale is another potential vessel y'all might try to challenge yourselves with. Yeah. And, and, and certainly, I mean, 
thankfully i think i'm fortunate being here in the southwest when it's tamale season because um as a way of of additional income uh, a lot of families will will produce a lot of of tamales and sell them on the side of the road or you know at the gas station and and it's actually how um uh some friends of mine um he uh he found uh, uh an old grandmother who Boy, she was, you know, her tamales were, were outstanding. And, and, uh, he worked with her to actually pay her, brought her a bear roast, um, and, cool. and had her create, uh, tamale. So every year he oh, wow. tries to go out and get a black bear and, and brings her the, the big hind roast and, Holy and cow. has her, her make, uh, uh, tamales, uh, for him and oh. stuff. And, and so it's kind yeah. of an, it's an every year tradition now that he's kind of developed with, with her. And, I'd, I'd like to talk to that lady and see what she thinks about that. I was like, wow, have you ever, have you ever worked with a bear before? See what she had to say. Wow. I, I you know, uh, probably be, well, I put it this way. She, it's in good hands with hers because I think she would know what to do or she would figure out a way to work it out. But that sounds pretty cool. Yeah. And, you know, that's, that's actually kind of sounds like another way where like, again, like building community, getting to know folks. And then of course, like I'm sure he gives her a piece of, you know, some bear to work with and keep on her own too. So that's oh, yeah. pretty cool. Pretty yeah. cool. Yeah. We've done that with, uh, um, friends at work. Uh, you know, they're, they're, mother or grandmother somebody's you know making tamales and stuff and so i'll be like hey you know can i trade you up and and you know give you two two elk roasts you know one for for tamales and for me and one for you guys and they're like yeah sure so um but so we're we're uh within the 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 taco verse um as it were um you know i i i know there are like what are considered authentic tacos you know that that really capture the moment and place um the traditions and everything that they come from and then there's kind of you know strange thoughts about the the redesigning or reinvention of of tacos elsewhere um uh do you see that as kind of a a a good thing or or you know uh i guess maybe the what i generally in my in my classes what we teach or what i teach to we sort of try to move around the notion of authenticity because sometimes it can be like a fruitless search to find out what is authentic or sort of the original right i think that sometimes it's it's useful to be able to have like a history uh maybe not to point to what the history was the origin but to be able to see things moving over time and so uh to think about uh you know what is authentic i think maybe you know tex-mex food might be an example we can kind of look at this like uh, as some folks might say well tex-mex i think Kennedy is kind of notorious for this, actually saying Tex-Mex is like this sort of bastardization of Mexican food that should be ashamed of itself as a cuisine. I mean, just some very, very sort of harsh words for Tex-Mex, but also holding up like Mexican food from Mexico, particularly from like indigenous villages as being like the uh, sort of the pinnacle of like what Mexican food can be in this kind of way. Well, all right. Well, that's sort of... uh, Tex-Mex is its own thing, but to, to kind of like, I don't know, trash Tex-Mex is also kind of like a way to kind of trash tex- Texas Mexican people too. And so like the food and the people, I think, go together. And to put it this way, to, to try to find like a, a food that is authentic, I think Tex-Mex is authentic for what it is, for what it is as like for what it's reckoned with. So, I mean, it's hard for me to say like uh, – if I have a taco in Mexico, that that would be an authentic Mexican taco because it may not necessarily always taste good. I mean, more than likely, it's going to taste better, <laughs> but it may not. But there are some really good tacos here, and it's hard to say. Well, it's authentic. 
Um, it has a lot in common with foods that's that's a lot would be in common, I guess, rather to say it's authentic. So it's kind of a a tough one for me. But I would say that like as um, the foods change over time, you can see certain things that are just very trendy, and you can see things that kind of won't last, or things that are trying to be, I don't know, try to be movements sometimes. Um, for example, uh, so New Mexico had its kind of moment for being like a kind of food, a new Mexican food. These days we can find it with like, uh, the remnants of like, uh, I don't know, a fiesta salad that has like corn cob and blue chips. That was sort of like this new Mexico kind of California movement that happened for a little while. It was pretty trendy. seemed like it was going to be the way to go, but it never really kind of caught on the way some other trends did. Um, these days I would say there is a, this media taco and this is like the one that's like gone all over the country now right a lot of folks will be like well that's a really authentic taco and other folks were like what are you talking about it's like an instagram taco now like media itself is like a stew that goes back a long time it's basically like a, a chili stew uh historically it was either usually goat or lamb but this is a version from beef and this one comes from um uh, Tijuana, so uh, I don't know, Baja California Norte, and so it got really popular. Uh, this kind of style taco in California because this guy set up a stand, uh, video tacos, and I guess on Instagram was doing their promotions. But it was like a really photogenic taco to see it dipped in the consomme, yeah. and it just became like popular. So this Tijuana style video that went to L.A. Went all over the country. So, I mean, it's everywhere. I was in Puerto Rico recently. It was there. It's New York. It's it's everywhere. And so this has been like kind of a recent trend in like the last few years. Some folks will be like, yeah, it's pretty authentic. It tastes pretty Mexican. It, yeah, it tastes pretty Mexican, I guess. Um, was it, is it authentic to what Bidia is? Well, like hard to say because it's changed over time. But it is what it is. It's its own yeah. thing. And I got to be able to appreciate it. But I know it's a little bit more like circular rather than it just appeared uh gives a kind of a better appreciation for what it is too so you know i guess maybe the you know other folks who are doing trendy stuff that might be like uh, i don't know i see these really weird food videos where people are putting like shredded pieces of gold on tacos <laughs> i'm like i don't think that's gonna catch on i don't know uh, but then there's others that you know they, they might catch on where they might be kind of cool I'm, I'm thinking of like uh southern california the kogi taco truck that was the uh uh, Korean bulgogi inside a tortilla. Yeah. So that became like a thing. That's still pretty held on. I mean, Korean food and Mexican food hybrid, it makes a lot of sense. There's some really good spice and like uh, fermented vegetables and stuff. Definitely barbecue traditions in Northern Mexico as well. So, you know, you kind of have to sort of be on the lookout for these trends, but then realize too that I think for those that do make it and become a thing, there's plenty of uh, there's plenty of bad ideas out there too. <laughs> yeah. Well, I've, I've noticed um, uh, one of the things since you brought up Bidia um, is, uh, uh, you know, the kind of the, the additional trend to that has been Bidia ramen um, and how that's, that's really taken off. So that's a, another thing that's kind of like this weird photogenic thing, but you know, it's, uh, um, well, people have, how to put it, people in Mexico city, a lot of food trends happen in Mexico city. So if any of your, uh, your listeners are on Instagram checking out some of the food folks who are in Mexico City. You'll see all these kind of really interesting street foods, and just like anywhere, street foods are the kind of thing where you have to compete with other folks. Sometimes going over the top. Uh, these kind of cups of soup have had their day in Mexico for a long time, but then they became like, oh, they're just people are outdoing each other. I mean, they're like they're pretty intense. 
Uh, and then, of course, like I think when folks saw what, what was going on with media and social media and just me- presence of Mexican food on social media, especially for a lot of young entrepreneurs. So that's probably another place to explore. And then I imagine there's probably um, chefs who are doing wild game and have a pretty big Instagram presence who are doing kind of cool stuff too. So that's like another realm where I, I feel like uh, the popularity of what becomes trendy is it's out there and maybe helps like, make some stuff catch on a little bit better. I, I can't really say, but it's definitely a place where, you, where I feel like some of the trends are beginning. And then it's certainly um, – you know, I live really close to a, one of the first Bidia trucks here in New York City. And that place still has lines down the block still. <laughs> so that's pretty cool. I, I guess and they're usually very young people, too. So and they're all on their phone. So I got to say, <laughs> yeah. I will say that, you know, one of the things that I discovered in kind of my culinary journey is is how close um, sometimes uh, that uh, some of the Mexican recipes and, and techniques are are honestly at a you know not not at a, at a specific level but at a fundamental level um sometimes only one or two ingredients off from southeast asian cuisine um and and you know some of those connections were you know uh obviously you know the peppers are different, um, <laughs> Thai chili versus versus something from Mexico or whatnot. But you know, and maybe fish sauce, and and suddenly you can transform uh, a, a dish one way or the other. You know, simply with the inclusion of a couple of ingredients and stuff. And and to me, that's that's kind of been fascinating. Yeah, I think. Well, uh, I guess. Well, there's a few things there. One was that like there was the trade between like uh, Spanish galleons in the Philippines. That had a lot of uh, so different ingredients were going back and forth, and that was impacting the well, that was impacting the global food system altogether. Um, and then on the, I guess moving a little bit further, uh, well, not even further. I guess maybe even further back. Uh, these are like ancient cultures that have been like you know making food for a long time. India as well, and so like you know, these are still living cultures where like the you know, dishes they made were like ancient and the kind of understanding for food goes way back too. so not only that but also the food not just for flavor but also for like medicinal purposes also sometimes traditional farming practices about what you know what plant together not to have like monocultural fields but like uh, biodiversity that was natural natural pesticides and like uh, in mexico they had this uh uh, I guess in the United States they call it the three sisters. It's the milpa, so it was like uh, squash, corn, and beans growing together symbiotically. And so you know that was also together like central part of their diet. And like I said, their cosmovision. So the reverence for food is one thing about the mixture of flavors, but it was like stuff that had been passed on for generations. So you know the the, the complexity of some of the salsas goes way way back, and so much so that when um, you know the making of mole, like in places. Uh, can be considered something like a spiritual experience uh, because sometimes they're cooking for two or three days and the flavors, you know, putting people, well, how would I put it? When putting the food together, it's about the stories coming together, remembering ancestors. So, you know, think about a lot of the rituals that involve food and big feasts and preparation of feasts and the care that goes into the food. And that's not something that's unique to uh, Mexican culture. I think that's something that's unique to humankind in general, really. But to have those kind of celebrations with like the, the complex food, um, some of the really, really old foodways traditions, I'm particularly like I'm thinking of India and some of the Chinese foodways and, of course, some of the Mesoamerican foodways. Um, yeah, you know, you, you you can kind of, you really can taste the history. Yeah, it's, and all of that in as simple as, as a taco, uh, 
wrapped in a tortilla, you know? That's right. That's right. Well, Dr. Alvarez, it's, it's been great having you on. I, I, I super appreciate all your knowledge and, and information uh, you've been able to share today. Um, it's, it's, I, I think hopefully the listeners got as much out of this as, as I did. It's, it's educating me as well. And, and, you know, some things that, that I didn't know or was aware of and, and, you know, just kind of want to expand that, that culinary perspective, uh, cool. you know, uh, great. It, well, you know, if, if any of your listeners ever figure out like how to do some like, um, bear tamales and you want to send me something, look me up. <laughs> <laughs> I want to check that out. <laughs> Absolutely. Well, if you ever make it back down here to Arizona, um, you know, maybe we should grab a taco. Uh, of course. Yeah. We, we, we can, we can, we can, commiserate about uh the quality of, of of good tortillas from around the state so oh yeah well there you go <laughs> <laughs> all right thank well so thanks again i i really appreciate it like i said um uh folks this has been uh, another uh topic that's that's been sitting on the back burner and and brought forward to the front uh for at least a little while uh appreciate y'all listening uh i hope you tune in again real soon thanks folks <laughs>